0: Before diving into today's show, I wanted to remind everyone of my favorite investing tools that are a staple in my office and think everyone should give a try. ycharts That's what I'm talking about. I've been using WhyCharts for years as a quick and easy way to research securities and monitor the markets and do, well, my homework on investments. To help my listeners out, I partnered with WhyCharts to give you a 15% off discount. Simply go to ycharts.com. And sign up for a free trial. Make sure you mention that you heard it on the Disciplined Investor Podcast to claim your discount. And the promotion is valid only for new users within a month of this show. So don't miss out. Check out wisecharts.com. The Disciplined Investor is all about you, your money, and the markets. Sit back and get ready for this edition of the Disciplined Investor Podcast. This episode of The Disciplined Investor is sponsored by Horowitz & Company. If you're looking for a portfolio manager, look no further. Horowitz & Company, from seed through harvest, cultivating financial success. The unemployment report is out. Not so good, though. And, well, that puts the Fed back in play. Labor Day weekend is here, back to school in a new world with new ways. And we're looking back on some interesting times and some things to do as we get into the season of of end-of-year planning. All this and much more on episode number 730 of the Disciplined Investor Podcast. Here we are. I know it's cliche, but man, it's September already. Seriously, I always viewed September—probably you did too—as kind of the end of the year. Here it comes, right? I got back to school when I was young after Labor Day. Growing up in New York, it was kind of the thing, you know. After Labor Day, after the Jerry Lewis Telethon, we went back to school. Down here in Florida, you go back to school in like June, May—it's some ridiculous time. Or maybe talk, no, go back to school in August. I'm sorry, like early August because they want to keep on the same schedule as ah, colleges. Some weird stuff down here and around the country with the timing. But when I remember it best, it was right after Labor Day. Hey, I'm Andrew Horowitz. I'm the host of the Disciplined Investor Podcast, also the president of Horowitz & Company, Inc., and that's an investment advisory firm, wealth management, money management. That's what we do each and every day for our clients is Work with them for their financial planning success, essentially looking at what it is that they're doing, how to optimize and um, make sure that they are in line with their goals, their plans, their future, or the opportunities, et cetera. Well, I want to talk about a few things this week in particular as we are getting into that groove of, like I said, you know, back to school, end of year, final quarter coming up. And some of the things that we should be starting to think about. But I also wanted to recap the things that are going on in the markets right now. What is happening, the themes, uh, the economic numbers, just to kind of get a quick insight into what is going on. In terms of the outlook, the explanation, sometimes not needed. Some people don't care about the explanation. It's like, I don't care. Why this is doing that is just doing that. And that's all fine and good. In fact, some of the best technical analysts, those chartists out there, don't even care the rhyme, the reason, or even what the particular name of a security they're looking at on a chart is. They don't care what it does or what it, what it is all about is what it's done and what it is potentially going to do. That is their job. Sometimes they go so far in training To blank out the name of the security and say, here's the chart. Make your, uh, take a review of it, make your plan on it. What's the outlook? Where's the positioning that you're going to take on this? The what if then concept. What are we looking at in terms of what has happened? If this happens, what will be the outcome? The if then if it goes up by here, above here, hey, that's a long opportunity. If it goes down by here, we're going to cut our losses, et cetera. These are the kind of things. But some of the people, you know, they're like, hey, I like to know what's going on and why it's happening. Why is it that when we see a jobs report like we've seen it, the market does this or that? Now, let's start out with the themes. Themes that I'm looking at right now, I think are very clear in a lot of people's mind. I think they're very obvious when we look at this. It's all about Tina and Siftler, Siftler, <laughs> Tina, T-I-N-A, Siftler, S-F-T-L-R. No, not, not sorry for the late reply. That stands for that also. Sorry for the late reply. No, but more so all about Tina. There is no alternative with interest rates as low as they are right now. It's very difficult for anybody to get really piped up and, and, and excited about hey, let me put that $250,000 in a 0.01% interest-bearing account. Man, that's really going to pay off. No, there is no alternative. Should I put it in bonds where there is a relative high on prices right now with with the prospect of inflation coming and really not much more wiggle room to the downside on yields potentially, unless we go negative in the U.S.? and not even further negative on European bonds, Japanese bonds, and probably not going to see negative interest rates in other areas around the world, as we know that this experiment has not really worked. So therefore, where's the real opportunity in bonds? The yield's not there, the upside for growth's not there. All right, scratch that off the list too. And as we go down the list of possibilities of where we're going to invest and you have to ask yourself, where else? And you come up with Tina. Oh, Tina, there is no alternative. And that's something we've been talking about for a long time. More importantly, I think this SFTLR, <laughs> SFTLR, stocks for the long run, a book by Jeremy Siegel put out many years ago, who predicted. You know, Dow 30,000, Dow 50,000, Dow 100,000. And that's really based on simple mathematics of a 7 to 8% rate of return on an annualized basis, which has been the historical norms for markets over time. You take that and you plug that number into where we are now, do a future value calculation, and what do you get? Well, very simply you go from 35,000 to 45,000 to 50,000 to 70,000 it gets up there over time when you have a compounding of interest with dividends reinvested and with markets just doing their very basic thing of what they have done historically if they continue doing that in the future that's what you get not a lot of magic but a lot of things behind it that are trying to support the thesis but we know a few things right now that are really underlying these two major themes. These two major themes that had been going on for a while. And let's talk about that. And I, and I think then we'll get into the nitty-gritty of, in particular, the mindset of where people are thinking about, I, I believe maybe over the last year, more than ever, stocks for the long run. Well, right now we have rates and inflation expectations that I think are pretty well anchored in the market stealing a phrase from the fed and well anchored what i mean by that is we all drank the Kool-Aid <laughs> we all you know we all are yeah well that makes sense the transitory well they tell us that sure we drank the Kool-Aid well anchored same discussion you could substitute anytime somebody says well anchored or drank Kool-Aid And I think the idea that rates are going to stay long for an exceptionally long period of uh, low for an exceptionally long period of time and inflation probably is not going to continue its ascent forever. I think we'd all agree to that. There'll be a point, one way or another, that there is a slowdown in the pricing structure. And usually that happens when you get to that equilibrium point where Supply-demand comes in, and then on top of it you have, well, I just can't afford that. And things start to regulate. So right now we're in a very substantial period when there is a major amount of demand, and more importantly, due to supply chain constraints, manufacturing constraints that are above and beyond what is a normal circumstance. I was on the uh, on the boat last week with a friend of mine. We're talking about things, and he does technology um, related hardware, software, and uh, and consulting. Major company works uh, for some big companies that he does applying for, and he told me that his hardware side, which is usually somewhere in the 5 to $10 million backlog, is now at a $50 million backlog. I was talking to a friend that owns a plumbing supply chain, Major manufacturers um, of uh, various uh, goods related to plumbing, anything that touches water, are having difficulty keeping up. And he talked about his backlog, which is usually, you know, forty or fifty thousand dollars worth of goods, is now at five million. Now, that's a combination, of course, if you think about it, of two things. One is clearly the demand, the requirement to get those particular parts. The second thing is the inability for many of these manufacturers or suppliers of any sort, whether they're here in the United States, out around the world. And then top it off with the fact that containers, when crossing from China or from other parts of Asia that you're trying to get your goods from, go from $2,500 per container when it's being shipped to two to $20,000, $2,500 to $20,000. Just that in itself, if you do a quick division and you say how many parts you have on that boat in that container and how you have to now distribute the cost factor of the increase of the shipping, just the shipping. I'm not talking about anything else here. I'm not talking about the material cost increase. I'm talking about the shipping distributing the cost of that shipping increase. Now, will that stay forever? I don't know, but it's here for a while. So inflation expectations well anchored. We're going to have them for a while. It's going to be good. It's going to be reviving of an economy. It's going to be beneficial overall. It's going to create jobs, which, again, I'm just telling you what they're telling us. This is the Kool-Aid that's being drunk, the anchor that's being well-situated. So we have that, and the idea there is, well, rates are going to stay low for a long period of time. And then what are the alternatives? Where are you going to invest in that kind of environment with a Fed who, like it or not, is very, very friendly to equities? There's also a concept, I think, out there right now that's important, and you may have thought of this yourself, of, well, hmm. You know, I look at the markets, I look at the various components and commodities and real estate, and I look at, you know, interest rates. And, you know, if I invest right now, what's the worst that can happen in life? I mean, think about it for a second, right? Wasn't the worst that could happen that we may go through some global pandemic and they shut down every business and tell us all to stay home? And you know what? We survived. We survived. Not only did we survive, oh man, look at the job creation coming out of this. Look at the, the the uh, profitability of companies coming out of this. Look at the stock market. Look at my personal situation, for the most part. And when all of us start thinking about that, and we start, oh, hey, you know, maybe it wasn't so bad. Now, obviously, from a from from a, from a positioning of finance, I'm talking about. I'm not talking about the human and psychological toll that that's all done. We obviously know that, and if you know me, obviously that is part and parcel of where um, I believe has been a major flaw in the process here that we have a lot of people that are still suffering while there's a lot of people that have really created massive wealth throughout this. We have a monumental and historic circumstance that really is... um, the worst thing ever, I mean, aside from maybe a, a war, some kind of crazy war on, on, on here or there, you know, on their soil, on our soil, the fact of the matter is that when we look at the situation that we had, I mean, how much worse can it get? Have you thought this yourself? What's the worst that can happen? So I lose my money, but you know what? I could have lost my life. If I did lose my life, do I really care about the money anyway? So a couple of these things that are really important to consider, I think that that we, we, are, we are not beyond the idea that there's actually some relief at this end of the curve. And the other thing when you back that into the idea of stocks for the long run, what's the worst that can happen? And in fact, if we think about this for a second, if we reflect, if that is the worst that can happen. And this is what the outcome is. If we think 5, 10, 15, 20 years in the future, with the idea that, you know, historically looking back, stocks, generally speaking, on under long-term factors are higher in the future than they are in the former, with a few cases in between that there were blips and bubbles and crashes and corrections If we believe, if we believe that stocks will be higher in the future than they are today, why not just keep pouring money into them? That's stocks for the long haul haul concept. Stocks for the long run. Stocks for the long haul. Stocks for the future. And I think that has become embedded in a lot of people's psyche with regard to where we are right now. The idea that there is a substantial amount of opportunity in the future. No real alternatives to invest right now. Where am I going to put my money? I think that really summarizes where we are, Tina, and stocks for the long run. S-F-T-L-R. Now let's move over to economics, where right now clearly some of the things that we're seeing in the markets and in the response to information that is Presented, I can only say that, well, bad is good and good is great, right? I mean, if we have a bad report, the Fed's involved. If we have a good report, well, we know the Fed's kind of there and it's going to really, well, that's good. If we see a good jobs report, you know, an 800, 900,000 increase in jobs numbers, and even if expectations were right there, expectations were 750 and we get a 900, hey, that's really good. Wow. Everything is working. The Fed's plan. The fiscal stimulus, the way things are happening in the recovery process, all working, gives us two thumbs up, green lights, and you know what? A big hallelujah halo. At the same time, the other thing that we're seeing in economics right now is that bad is good. In other words, we saw this jobs number come out on Friday, and expectations were anywhere from six hundred to 750,000 new additions, To the payrolls, and what happened was we only saw about two hundred twenty-five thousand new additions to the payrolls for a variety of circumstances. That some of the economists were basically saying, "Well, you know, there's some real wonky seasonality that's going on right now," and the reason for that is that we look at year ago comparisons, and of course with the pandemic and the way people are working and maybe the gig economy, and making a lot of excuses. Bottom line is. The reason the markets did not really sell off dramatically on this number, first of all, it's a one-off that's really that bad. Secondly, there was some underlying expectation somewhere that maybe the Delta variant was really going to hurt the service industry and other areas and really stop people from hiring for a little while at the breakneck pace that they were hiring. They're going to get a little more cautious. That is very reasonable. I think we talked about this last week that there is a chance – for a significant disappointment, I wrote about it a couple of times to our clients as well. That you know what, there is a chance that there is going to be a significant amount of disappointment here because you know what, there is there is the 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 reactive nature of people when they start hearing about these spiking cases and the natural pullback of people going to restaurants, going to movies, going on a plane, going on a cruise, traveling doing things that they do, going to malls, going shopping, et cetera. Now, there are benefactors of this as well. Online shopping, right? Streaming, stay-at-home workouts. Maybe um, companies that, uh, even though Zoom had a pretty ugly situation last week in terms of their performance after their earnings, a company like Zoom. There are potential beneficiaries of this, but the bigger picture right now is that we're seeing that there is a concern and a pullback. And that is not necessarily all bad from a market standpoint, as bizarre as that sounds, and, and how that's almost you know terribly difficult to, to take a bite out of. And the reason is that it really just says, fortunately or unfortunately, you know my feeling of the Fed right now, feeling just get the hell out of the way and let the economy just heal at this point, but the Fed's going to be a part of the conversation for a bit longer. It does seem that they are going to be in this this mode of continuing to try to pacify and to provide support and continuing with their communication strategy, which Bernanke put in many years ago, the idea of, hey, let's communicate what we're thinking we're going to do, and obviously to lead like a carrot in front of a horse, like a like a rabbit in front of a greyhound, the idea that we're going to see that there is a significant amount of opportunity that the Fed will be involved for some period of time, and that's that whole thing now, at the same time, you know, we just can't focus on the u s and on one data print. We got to look around the world, and you know what? there's some confirming details that things are not. As good as they were, China, as an example, we're seeing clo- uh, slowing down o- almost in in every metric. You know, as the reboot and the restocking kind of eases, where people are not going out. Well, the start. I heard they're starting again. I heard Charmingate is starting again. I got to look into that. But the idea that people are hoarding. Now you think about the story I told you earlier, where. I have a friend who's in a business, and he has a $50 million backlog. And what does he say to his customers and clients? He says, hey, you know what? Just wanted to let you know it's going to be a while till you get your goods. And what does the customer do? Well, he doesn't pull that order because if he pulls the order, he feels like he's going to go to the back of the line and have to wait that much longer to get the next product. But what does he do? Not only does he not pull the order, probably, probably goes and orders even more to make sure that the next order isn't delayed. Thinking even further in advance and usually maybe saying, "Ah, we have a two-month window to get a particular product that we want in. And, you know, right now it's at a six-month window. I better start putting more orders in, creating even more of a backlog and higher prices because now you have more demand again. So they're stocking up in a different way right now, not due to panic necessarily, but due to the fact there's a realization that there's a real clog in the supply chain. I mean, I've done this. I've done this with various products that I'm like, well, you know what? I'm having a hard time getting this. I'll triple my order. Let's make sure I have some in stock whether it's a particular paper that was for a while to... uh, I drink these uh, Propel energy drinks, or not energy, but these waters, uh, these uh, energy-flavored waters, uh, fruit-flavored waters, and uh, couldn't get them for a while, this particular flavor that I like. So what do you do? Triple ordered. Make sure I got them in stock that I wanted. Again, what does that do? It really puts more of a crimp on the supply chain. So right now we have a situation where... For a lot of the economics, it's a it's a heads I win, it's a tails I I win. Also, uh, the other thing I want to talk about, I got a, a lot of things to talk about with regard to market issues, and I also then we're going to talk about um, uh, what we need to be doing for the end of the year. There's a couple of important items that we really need to get to. But uh, there's been an interesting rotation that's been happening in the markets. So we went from uh, kind of an everything trade to much more of a I would say a streamlined uh, and and a very concentrated positioning of investors who have been really out to get rid of certain things like small caps and areas that may be working into the mega caps, into the super, uber, duper mega caps. You know, the name is the Microsofts and the, the Googles and the Apples and the Facebooks. You know all these, right? Um they've been on fire. They've been absolutely taking a tremendous amount of market share, even with a bad report for Apple potentially about their take from some of the players in the in in the uh, in the app store. Stock hit an all time high. We saw seven months of positive returns for the markets over the last seven months. Uh, but over the last three or four months, a big rotation from value that was leading the financials and um, the utilities to a degree, and uh, real estate also, and uh, staples to really a focus back on biotech, healthcare, and technology. Pretty interesting went from big to small small to big market algos are having all sorts of fun keeping indices up but you know taking down the underlying so you don't really see it it's kind of an invisible drip in the backside but right now I mean you got to say that really pretty impressive that markets are able to hold up as as well as they have and to continue with all the headwinds that are out there and we can name all of them because we have named all of them particularly the idea of consumer confidence, which I'm going to get to in a second. Before I do that, I'm talking for a moment to advisors and all you advisors that are listening. There's a lot of you, I know that. investment folk that are professionals. I have a question that was posed to me by YCharts, and they were wondering, hey, are you having difficulty communicating properly with your clients and investors because... We know they're looking for quality research. We know that they're looking for information. And the question is, where do you get your research from? And where do you get the information to provide your insight? So if this sounds like you, I want you to listen up. You need to look at YCharts. Check out this YCharts platform. Uh, Why? Well, if you want to keep your clients happy. If you want to keep them engaged. You want to keep them trusting of your relationship. Because charts, while it's great for retail also, it's a great way for you to show them that their portfolio is in the best hands possible. If you need to grab some quick research or run down sophisticated calcs on data or maybe even just get some ideas for investing, charts is definitely the name to know. Whether you're managing models or researching stocks or mutual funds, ETFs, or tracking macro trends, charts is all the data and tools you need. You also get a dedicated member of the Ycharge team to make it easy for you to find what you need. Head to Ycharge.com and sign up for the free trial. Mention the Disciplined Investor podcast, and new users get a fifteen percent discount if you sign up in the next month. Definitely check out Ycharge for both advisors, investors, professionals, and just you know people who are interested in understanding all the things related to investing in economics, et cetera. Really great product, great platform. I left off on consumer confidence. Now, this is something that, this is something I pay attention to. You know, we can talk about all these other items and all these other things that may be underlying markets, but really this issue right here, consumer confidence. You know, remember, if I've said this once, I've said it a thousand times, it's all a confidence game. I mean that, in the nicest possible way, and I mean that in the harshest possible way. It's all a confidence game. As long as investors and businesses and governments and everybody involved in the system has confidence in the system, things are going to be fine. When you have a confidence break for one reason or another, whether it's for real or perceived, whether there's actually something happening or what is happening is making a confidence break happen. That's something you need to pay attention to. When consumers are really starting to say, hey, wait a second. You know what? The outlook doesn't look as rosy for me personally. For my specific situation. It doesn't look so good. Under that situation, you need to wake up and say, well, where is that going to impact us? One of the things we've seen over the last week or so is that retail names, and I'm going to talk about something very interesting. I don't want you to go away to hear about this. We're going to kind of get to that in a few minutes. Uh, An amazing rotation that I just saw in the TDI managed growth strategy for our clients. We just finished that. I'm going to talk about that in a second. Just hold that thought. But we see that when... Consumers are feeling concerned about their, the potential for their own personal situation is decaying. And they're pulling back. You have to start wondering about retail. And you have to start wondering about travel. And in this particular circumstance, probably due to the Delta variant and all the things that are surrounding it, all the news that we see why this is happening, whether you believe it or not. It doesn't matter. It is factual that we are hearing this and this is having an impact. So it doesn't really matter if you believe it's a thing or not or whether you think it's a a problem or not. Uh, Other people do. It's showing up here in the data. Therefore, we need to pay attention. Slipping confidence in several reports have just been coming in. Retail sales are rolling over and select retailers are getting slammed the excitement over that retail was back and brick and mortar was going to just break out and everybody was buying all these shares of these companies has faded dramatically recently. So what that means is that what we're finding is that there is a real problem when it comes to the potential for consumers and investors to maintain their confidence into the next several months. You need to pay attention to this. This is a really important area because, again, if we all agree that this is all built on a giant pile of confidence in the belief about now, next week, next year, and the future, that will show up significantly, especially with the amount of change, the absolute value differential that we saw in change in the number from where we were from a confidence, whether it was a UMish or the... Um, conference boards that came out on Tuesday. I mean, they confirmed each other. Very significant moves off of the tops. Meme stocks, I don't know. We're going to talk about that. They're still playing, looking for that short squeeze. Um, We are seeing that uh, in economics that we're going to have a very light week. Next week, ISM manufacturing this week was a little bit, um, I would say, okay. It was fine. Claims, okay. Employment report, we said, Was not the home price index. Um, Unbelievable move on home prices. People asking us where a bubble is starting to, it does seem like we're starting to get there. (laughs) For a while, I'm like, no, well, I'm not sure about that. And it kind of looks like just a recovery out of a pretty, you know, big uh, move to the downside that we saw just very briefly during the 2020 sell-off of everything during the shutdowns, the pandemic crisis during March, April, May, June of 2020. But I got to tell you, the recovery that we're seeing now, the moves that we're seeing, like an 18% annualized rate of increase last month in the Case-Chiller numbers that we saw released on Tuesday of this week. Like, wow, that's pretty amazing. When you look at the price, just go look in your own neighborhood. Go to Zillow or or Redfin or wherever you want to look for pricing. Just look at the prices of not only what the projected value of your house, your neighbor's house, and your Surrounding communities are, but look at the prices paid. There was a house. I saw a house in a neighborhood very near me that was sold, I think, what was it? It's about a year ago or so, but before that it was about 650, 700,000. Then a year ago it was bought for one, or a little bit more than that uh, ago, 1.3 million. Now it's on sale again for 1.95, and not a lot of work was done to the house. This is a three-bedroom, three-bath, 2,100-square-foot house. And we're talking about Fort Lauderdale area. Pretty amazing. And there's nothing different about that than what's probably happening in your neck of the woods. And you need to ask yourself, is that bubbleicious? Are we getting into a time that interest rates are so low, there's so much demand? People are buying houses to get the hell out of cities. They don't want to experience anything like that again. They're still thinking about that, still scarred. I met people just this weekend that said, hey, we bought a COVID house. I said, seriously, am not kidding about this? <laughs> okay. I met these people. We talked a little bit. They were from New York. They said, I bought, we bought in um, a town called Merrick, and they bought a, a COVID house. And I said, you know, uh, hold it. I have a question. Yes. What's a COVID house? Oh, you know, when uh, we didn't want to live in the city mo- anymore, so we just freaked out and bought a house somewhere else that was away from a city center, a suburb. A suburb. We, it's called the COVID house. You know, because of COVID, we bought a house. I'm like, oh, there's a name for it. So what we are seeing right now is a very significant move in housing. That's good because of uh, obviously that is the number one, for a lot of people, the number one asset in terms of value that they have. And that's, that's important. So, uh, you know, obviously... We don't want to see too much of an expansion. You see too much of an expansion. You see a consumer confidence cut. You see a market come down and stocks come down all at the same time. Very bad, very, very bad total process that could really hurt things. Economics next week. I said it was light. We got um, PPI and CPI. At the end of the week, Fed's beige book as well. All right, here we are. Uh, A couple of things that we need to talk about that we need to really focus in on. I want your attention here because I want – to really instill this to you. So if you're if you're if you're working out, push those AirPods or headphones in a little bit deeper and let's really get down to something. If you're in your car, turn up the volume a little bit. I want you to listen. If you're in the office working, get back to work for goodness sakes. What do you listen to a podcast for? But <laughs> nonetheless, Here's what we need to talk about right now, because we're into September. We started the show, and I said, hey, you know what, it's it's, ah, it's September already. I'm not kidding about this. It's September already. And, you know, all those things that we planned to do, yeah, I know the diet that kind of got away from us. uh, I get get that. I know. I know some of the other things you want to read, five books this year. and and, I get it. But this is important, because those things – as yes, your health is important and, and obviously keeping well-read and educated and all is, is is extraordinarily important. But you can actually allow yourself sometimes to go a little bit longer and miss certain dates with those. What I'm talking about here are things that you cannot miss a date on. The end of the year is the end of the year from tax standpoint, from retirement plan standpoint, capital gain standpoint. There are a lot of things that you need to do to make sure that you are properly set by the end of the year, because the books close, December 31st. It's not like, oh, yeah, you know what? I know, I want to take that loss in this year, so let me sell it on the 3rd of January. No, it doesn't work like that. It's not like, uh, you know, I'll start my diet on Monday. No, these things have to be done. And there are some things that are really important to start doing well in advance. Yes, it's only September, but it is September, Only four months to go until the end of the year. And yeah, it does seem like a bit of a long period of time, but you know what? We need to start thinking about the end of year planning right now. IRAs, retirement plans, uh, asset allocation, budgets, debt reduction. How about mortgage refinancing? Getting papers ready. You know, all the things that we're supposed to be thinking about in order to get our financial house in order every single year. We need to do this. And really, frankly, several times a year, we should be doing this. We should be working on, I guess the best way to describe it is our financial garden. A little planting, a little pruning, a little fertilizer, and of course, we've got to water. And if you don't do that, if you don't tend to your financial garden, you, listen, don't be upset that you can have all sorts of weeds on it and you're not going to have any good growth from any of the things that are in there. Seriously, I know that a lot of people are like, oh, you know, I'll look at this stuff once in a while, every five years or whatever it may be. But, you know, if you took a little bit of time, just a little bit of time, to spend on your financial garden, just like you probably do mowing your lawn, trimming a hedge, telling somebody to trim a hedge, making sure that it all looks just right, it would pay off handsomely in the future. It's time to start thinking about this, especially because there are some new tax proposals that are in the works and some may impact you and some may not. We don't know exactly what the final tax law will look like that goes into play when and if this $3.5 trillion Infrastructure and human infrastructure bill gets passed, but there'll be something they're talking about possibly taxing companies that do re, re, um, repurchases of their own securities. Looking at certain CEOs, if there's a multitude of their salary beyond a certain level of the average salary, they're going to tax them, possibly increase or decrease taxes on certain areas, increase or decrease the availability of certain deductions. These are things that you need to start thinking about because if there's the opportunity to potentially take a benefit now, it makes sense. For example, if there's going to be a tax rate increase at certain levels, does it make sense to maybe take some gains right now if there's going to be a capital gains increase in the future? Hmm. Interesting. Would it make sense more so to maybe think about converting a Roth IRA right now if tax is going to be higher in the future On an individual basis, or instead of funding a regular IRA, fund a Roth IRA, Roth 401k plan for next year. Does that make sense? Or this year, does that make sense? Because again, there are some changes that are happening in the future. And what you really need to do is even though maybe you're not going to be terribly impacted by some of the things that are on the table, once the year passes, you can't go back and change anything. You need to reach out to your advisor right now. You need to call. You need to make a a, a quick email. Send it out. Say, hey, hello. You know what? Can we talk in the next few weeks, next month or so, whether it's your CPA, your financial advisor, whoever you're, your tax advisor, whoever that you use to really discuss some of these things, or maybe all of them, to see if there's anything you need to do before the year end and make sure that you're in compliance and getting the most out of your financial garden that is possible. There's also things you want to do that are really kind of ancillary, and I'll kind of just mention this, is things like estate planning. Every once in a while, you need to think about this. Hey, you know what? I got a will. Maybe I need a living trust. I don't know. Maybe I do, maybe I don't. What about a uh, do-not-resuscitate order, healthcare health care proxy, a living will, durable power of attorney? Do I need any or all of these? Is it a good idea? Well, probably speak to an attorney and your advisor, to figure out if your circumstance really dictates that that will be an important thing for you. And I think that it's a really good time and why I'm really focusing on this and trying to hammer this home, if you haven't figured it out yet, to really instill this into you and in, in, in my own little way, inspire you to make sure that you are getting the most out of what you're doing in life. The whole point, and these are these ideas of these disciplines that I talk about, and that's why it's called The Disciplined Investor. That's why the book, by the way, available on on Audible over on Amazon. I'm holding it right now. Disciplined Investor, Essential Strategies for Success, has all sorts of chapters on all sorts of things that, um, you know, from tools of the trade to implementing the plan to putting it all together, quantitative analysis, chapter by chapter by chapter to give you the things that you need to be successful in the area of your financial plan, your investing, et cetera. But the point is that if you know you can't wait. You can't wait. Don't wait another day. Why wait? What's the point of waiting? Where does it get you? How's it? Where's it gotten you so far? There's no reason. So now's the time. Now's the time. Okay, so um, Finally, I want to talk about uh, just to kind of we have a big recap this week. We talked about some things related to Tina and stocks for the long run. And I want to talk about two, two, uh, I guess we call them major confluences that have changed the way traders kind of trade. You know, because, you know, it's going to be a light week because we have two things happening this week. We have both Labor Day, and we have Rosh Hashanah. Rosh Hashanah is on Tuesday. Some people uh, celebrate Tuesday and Wednesday, but it's Tuesday uh, and Monday is Labor Day. That leaves a very short week. That's why there's, there's very little economics and information coming out next week, all towards the end of the week. You know, it used to be that you would say that, hey, you know what? When the traders came back to their desk at the Labor Day weekend, especially in New York, where people were out in the Hamptons all summer, now they come back. Now you have to say, well, is that what I would say today? Am I going to tell you that Traders are getting back to their desks? Well, they're not. There's a difference in trading. The real market action would come in right after Labor Day into the end of the year as they got back to their desks. But I think this week and this year is going to be a little bit different. Again, it's because of these confluences that the ways traders, and when I say traders, I'm talking about the professional traders, the institutions, the floor traders. I'm talking about the retail traders, everybody. And one of the big things is, for a long time now, you know, this is no secret here. This is not like I'm, I'm parting the sea and saying, oh, you, oh, that is is, oh, it's brilliant. No, you know this. For a long time now, there has really been a reduced need in actually going to an exchange or even a desk to trade. Again, I'm talking about this across the whole genre of traders because we have the advent of some pretty amazing technology. And more importantly, I think, how we use it for investing. And we've all seen this transition for years. The idea that uh, there was this trade stoppage when traders were on vacation because they didn't have any access. They didn't have physical access to do this. Back in the day, there were no smartphones that could just trade. In fact, back in the day, there were no mobile phones. You went on vacation particularly out of the country. What are you going to do? you Are going to phone in a trade at what time? It wasn't email, right? This is a modern, very modern day phenomena. And today there's access. There's access. Vacations are kind of a, a mixed process for many people with work woven into play. You know what I'm talking about. So I don't think there's going to be a major change in participation that we saw in the past where, hey, it's summer, now it's not summer. It's vacation, now it's back to work. I don't think that's going to be the same. Yes, we'll probably see the seasonality of summertime as we saw it with basically less volume. It's just what it is. It's maybe hot and people are doing other things. But I think that... We will see the expectation for a pickup in mid-September. But I don't know if necessarily is that black and white as we saw it in the past. And there's been a lot of talk that September is historically a rough month, right? People get back. They start making plans. They start taking profits. You know what? They get a lot of worry towards the end of the year. But I want you to remember something because I've been seeing this really a lot recently that these are all statistics and can be skewed in one way or another was just a few inputs. What I want you to do is focus on the trend and the information that's really right in front of us rather than some wonky stat. But I just thought that it was interesting to point out that differential of, of how it used to be versus how it is now when it comes to trading. The last thing I, I mentioned I need you to stay tuned for, and I need to really pay attention to a couple things during this. And this is another one of them that I thought was really fascinating. And that was um, just quickly before we wrap up that there was this major rebalance we did that we do every three months in the TDI managed growth portfolio, right? The strategy that we look at where we have um, both the long and the short side of things and we use quantitative analysis to pick the stocks and the core positioning. And the core positioning is based on some very important factors of growth of revenue and, and earnings and a variety of other factors. But the bottom line is what I thought was so amazing was the significant reduction in the retail and consumer names and consumer discretionary names and an outsized increase in industrials. Now, I got to tell you something. I've been doing this a while. A couple things that don't really come into the portfolio that often are like hardcore industrials and banks, money centers. These don't have the growth potential, a lot of these. But the increase in the industrial names in the portfolio is showing you The power of the fiscal stimulus, the power of the reopening, the power of the growth of this economy as earnings are just tremendous in this sector. And and these are the kind of names that you would think that should work well if if we have an increasing interest rate environment over time. You know, assuming the Lambda variant and this new MU variant aren't like Delta and there's General decrease in the virus spread in the future, which kind of I'm betting on. I think that's major, um, a major reality. Kind of the waves that we had. and You look at historical pandemics and the waves that are out there, et etc. This seems to be that maybe, fingers crossed, this could be the end of all the different uh, harsh variants right now, especially with more and more people becoming vaccinated and, if not vaccinated, getting it and becoming uh, having antibodies, etc. So. We have a huge infrastructure spend that's going to be happening, et cetera. So this kind of makes sense with an increased interest rate, slowdown of the virus into the future, major spend on infrastructure. Really interesting to notice um, from the screening or the quantitative process of the strategy that we do have a significant amount um, of increase, very significant and very noticeable increase in, um, in the industrials in the portfolio. I thought that was really fascinating. Plus – with all we talked about with confidence and the consumer confidence numbers waning a bit, how there was um, a very interesting reduction in consumer discretionary. Find it fascinating. In closing, a few things. Financial gardening season, here we are. Get to work. Get out your shovels. Get out your your gloves, your, your little pruners. Make sure that you are set. Contact your financial advisor. If you need one, go find one. Um, I mean, that's what we do with our clients each and every year, right? We do it and help them with it automatically. It's Labor Day. Enjoy. Come back refreshed and ready to be your best self. I'm kicking off. Got barbecue and fun awaiting. Thanks for joining me. I'm going to see you next week. Andrew Horowitz signing off for the Disciplined Investor Podcast. Nothing discussed in this podcast should be considered a recommendation to buy or sell any security. Past performance is no indication of future results. In addition... The information presented is not intended to be used as a sole basis of any investment decisions, nor should be construed as advice designed to meet the individual needs of any particular investor. Nothing herein constitutes legal, accounting, or tax advice or individually tailored investment advice. Remember, investing involves substantial risk. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results and a loss of original capital may occur. No one receiving or accessing this information should make any investment decision without first consulting his or her own personal financial advisor and conducting his or her own research and due diligence, including carefully reviewing any applicable prospectuses, press releases, reports, and other public filings of the issuer of any securities being considered. Please consider this for educational purposes only. As always, use your best judgment when investing. Horowitz & Company, Inc. is registered as an investment advisor with the state of Florida, and conducts business in other states where it is properly registered or is excluded from registration requirements. Registration does not imply any level of skill or training. Advertisements are not related to the host or affiliates and are not considered recommendations by the host of the show or any affiliates of Horowitz & Company.